you so much. Thank you for the way you show grace and the people who are here. Your love and your faithfulness are beautiful things. Um, I'm, I, I'm, I'm so excited, and I, I ask for your grace and favor on what's going to happen today. Please. Lord, I love you. I love you so much. And I'm asking in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. If you missed last Sunday, there's the summary slide of what we covered. Uh, an example of the laws on giving in the Old Testament and the grace teachings in the New Testament about tithing, offerings, and material obligation in the scriptures. So that's all available online. By the way, I've got about an 18, 18 and a half pages of notes if you want that uh, all available. All right, what about today? We're going through the teachings of the scripture, doctrine. And we're looking at the doctrine of the church. And here you are. <laughs> you're the church. So we want to dig in. And I, I believe that you're going to discover some things perhaps that you've never seen before. So the doctrine of the church. Let's walk through this. And uh, I, I'm excited about what you guys are going to share. So these are some doctrinal statements. If you go to the crew website, Campus Crusade for Christ, this is what they say how they summarize the doctrine of the church. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. His body, which is composed of all people, living and dead, who have been joined to him through saving faith. And God admonishes his people to assemble together regularly for worship, for participation in ordinances, for edification. That's a fancy word that means build up through the scriptures and for mutual encouragement Wheaton College up in Illinois, they say this, that the church is one holy universal church. It's the body of Christ and composed of the communities of Christ's people. The task of Christ's people in this world is to be God's redeemed community, embodying his love by worshiping God with confession. Think about that, worship, confession and worship. Worship is prayer. Worship is praise. By proclaiming the gospel of God's redemptive love through our Lord Jesus Christ. To the ends of the earth by word and deed. By caring for all God's creation and actively seeking the good of everyone, especially the poor and needy. That's a great summary statement of the doctrine of the church uh, from Wheaton College. And you can go online and there's just tons and tons of examples of these things. So let's walk through the scriptures and just see what the church is like. These are simple metaphors for what the church is like. They're very, very simple. You are considered a branch on the vine, God's house, an olive tree, a field of crops, a building, a temple, a chosen people, royal priests. Have you, have you thought of yourselves as being a royal priest? This is interesting. By the way, um, the word in Latin, the phrase in Latin, cultus deum, means to care for God. Priests come to the sanctuary to God's holy place and they observe rituals that God has assigned. And so the priests of Israel, when they were in the, in the, the Holy of Holies doing what God said, they're actually caring for God. That's what cultus deorum means, caring for God. You are priests. You can actually care for God. In other words, does he matter And what you do right now? can have an influence on him. Uh, we are strangers and aliens. We don't belong here. This is not our home. 
This is, this is not the end point. You, the church, are called the people of God, the family of God, and the body of Christ. These are metaphors for who you are. Christians, okay? Check this out. What makes a church? Is there, is there something different about Christ's church in comparison to, say, the Episcopal church or the Methodist church, non-denoms, a Catholic church? Is there something different about us? How we go about things? Well, there are four identifying qualities, and these things actually make a church. And it doesn't have a lot to do with denominations. looks like this. A church is where the Godhead is preached, the Godhead is taught. In other words, you can't be a church and focus only on God. You've got to focus on God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. When the whole of the Godhead is honored by his word, by preaching, and by living, this is the first step in being a church. The word of God is preached. The word of God. And it's taught in the way it was intended to be understood. And this is going to be a tough one, okay? Um, You know, for example, when I say the word is taught well, I mean by that the Apostle Paul, when he wrote his letter to 1 Timothy, Paul had a goal in mind. Does that make sense? There is a reason why he wrote the letter. And I believe with all my heart that if you can't discover what Paul originally meant, you're really not getting at Scripture. Okay? This, this is not how you have your quiet time. Can I illustrate how not to have your quiet time? Uh, okay, naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you, I have no idea what that means. Um, and, and well, let's try another one. And you do that. This hunt and pick, this random stuff, that's not how you get into God's Word, okay? In fact, this actually can be pretty dangerous. What about this in Isaiah? It says, no weapon formed against you will prosper. How many times have you heard that one? (laughs) No weapon formed against you will prosper. Do you think that can be taken out of context? Do you think that can be abused? Does that mean we get to have weapons and nobody can defeat us so we can just go out and start killing people? Um, did you know in inpatient mental hospitals, they don't allow this in the rooms with the patients? Do you know why? Mm-hmm. Barbara, you're nodding. You know exactly why. Talk about, talk about causing a problem for somebody who's mentally ill. Do you know that you can take this thing and twist it and make it say anything you want, and there are people who are mentally ill who kill and say, God told me to do it. Okay? So when I say the word of God is taught, I'm telling you, the way God intended it to be understood, that is when the church moves toward the church. When it's just random people making up stuff or proof texting, which means you already made up your mind and you're just going to you know, look for some verses to kind of back up what you think. That's proof texting. Uh-uh, can't do that. Can't do that. That's a no-no. I'm not saying you can't have a devotional reading. I'm just telling you we've got to get inside the Holy Spirit, and what is intended in this book. When we do that, we move toward being the church. Number three, the gospel is preached unapologetically. You know, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. That is not a suggestion. That's not, he is not one of many options out there. He is the only way to the Father. When we do that, we're moving toward being the church. Lastly, when we observe the ordinances that Jesus Christ commanded, What are the two ordinances? Baptism, Lord's Supper. Now, there are some denominations that say it's it's foot washing. 
I don't know if you come from a primitive Baptist church tradition or free will Baptist, but some of those denominations actually teach a third denomination, which or, uh, ordinance, which is uh, foot washing. I do not believe that's the case. I think it is a that was a symbolic act of basically how we treat people is what that means. Okay, so you do those four things, you're the church. That's it. You're the church now. When it comes to doctrine, things can, can get real messy, and we have all kinds of denominations. So, all right, what are the purposes of the church? We've already covered that. I really don't want to spend a lot of time in that one. But this is Christ's church. Bring glory to God. Bring the lost to faith in Christ. Bring maturity, believers to maturity. Plant churches, missions. Build marriages. Make them strong. Families. Healing. And then fight for the rights of the defenseless. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. So that's what Christ Church is all about. All right, let's dig deep. What about baptism and the Lord's Supper? What, what, what do we do with this stuff? What do we, how do we believe? Well, my understanding of Scripture is that baptism is a symbol. It's a symbol of conversion. It's an illustration of how a person is transformed, being an outsider and unholy, to being an insider made new and pure by the cleansing blood of Jesus. It's really a depiction of the believer spiritually moving from death to life. Like you're dead, you're in a, a, a casket, you're lying down, to being raised up to walk in a new life through his son, Jesus Christ. Baptism, by the way, doesn't just uh, illustrate being saved, becoming a Christian. It also illustrates discipleship. In fact, it's so powerful. Mason, you and I have talked about this and what you do with Regen, that you should be able to reflect back on your baptism and that actually motivate you to be a good disciple. So, so it depicts salvation, but it also depicts uh, discipleship. In other words, you were dead, you came to life being born again. Why would you go back to dead things? Discipleship. <laughs> Don't go back to dead things. Stay in the living, the living Jesus Christ, okay? Um, what about the Lord's Supper? A lot of confusion on this, a lot of mystery. Again, it, it's a symbol. It's a symbol of the death of Jesus given sacrificially for us. Kind of get our minds around that. The Lord's Supper is also defining for evangelism and discipleship. When Paul writes 1 Corinthians 10 and 11, he uses all kinds of teaching on the Lord's Supper because of the church that is so dysfunctional, a church that is so confused on doctrine and how to live out their lives, so divided that Paul believed that the Lord's Supper could actually bring them back together. In other words, create unity. So the Lord's Supper depicts the act of evangelism, being born again through the death of Christ, but also unity and spiritual connection. N.T. Wright, a great New Testament scholar, says... The Lord's Supper is anchored firmly in the Exodus Passover story, which has found a new fulfillment in Christ. It's understood as the intimate sharing of food, of a meal, like we're sharing in the life and presence of the Lord and his people. And it's designed to express the unity, solidarity, and holiness of the community. Let me explain what that means by, by holiness. When Paul writes to the Corinthian church, let me tell you what it's like to live in Corinth. If you lived in the city of Corinth, you were living in a uh, uh, San Francisco. How about that? San Francisco, New York. 
something like that, Chicago. But you want to go with the left coast. Okay, we're going to go to San Francisco, LA. Thank you. Thank you, My small attempt to hear, I'm just not a good joke today. The left coast, get it? Okay. So think about that, San Francisco. Crazy liberal, okay? Anything goes. Believe what you want, hang a fried egg from your ear, eat frozen yogurt, you become invisible. You can believe anything you want. It's just fine, right? Okay. So you're in Corinth. There are cult, pagan cults everywhere, temples everywhere. It's like, a, it's like a buffet of religion. And you can go and be a part of kind of anything you want. In fact, if you're a good Corinthian, you do participate in all the local religions because you know what? You don't want to send any God at all. You don't want to upset any of the local gods and the regional national gods because if you do, they may punish the city and then it's all your fault. So everybody is dabbling in all kinds of religion. Okay? There's, um, there's all kinds of folklore about Corinth and sailors. What's up with the Navy people? Sailors coming to these cities, particularly this city, engaging in all kinds of nasty. Okay? There's probably a few saloons in Corinth, I imagine. Who knows? Go play poker and shoot up the saloon and you know, all that stuff. Rough place to live. Paul said, how can you go to a temple, a cultic temple, and sit down at one of their tables and partake in their food? Because if you do, you're eating at the table, Paul said this, of demons. And then on the Lord's Day, you gather as a church and you go to that table and try to participate in Christ? Paul said, no way. The Lord's Supper is about being holy. And we can't live our lives in radical liberalism or with no regard for moral code in in any of its, the ways we, we live out our morality. You can't live out a worldly non-Christian moral code and then expect to to come to the Lord's table and be all good with holiness. You can't eat at the table of demons and then share in the table of Christ. can't do it. You either in or out. This is what the Lord's Supper is about. It's very, very serious. Now, here's what's beautiful. It's also the table of grace. It's the table of mercy. It's the most graceful symbol we have. But but that graceful symbol, Paul said, look, There are some of you who take the grace of God and you turn it into a license to sin. They called it licentiousness. It's old King James translation. It's like, like, you know, God's so good. Well, it's amazing. It's Romans 6. What should we say then? So we continue to sin that grace may increase. No man never be. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? So just because God's a God of grace doesn't mean it's it's like, I can do what I want, and, and God's got to be good to me because he's a God of grace. No. So the Lord's Supper has everything to do to express our unity, our solidarity, and holiness as the community. By the way, who's authorized to lead the Lord's Supper? I come from a Catholic tradition in Massachusetts. Elizabeth, you know, I, I don't know if you've ever been a part of that, but listen, the, the, the host, the wafer, is so holy I wasn't allowed to touch it. I couldn't even touch it. And the priest and all his regalia would literally walk the line and you would open your mouth like a little bird and he would drop that in your mouth. And that's how he would just, and in that row people would go sit down, the next row would come in and he would, you couldn't even touch the wafer, okay? 
similar to the cup. Sometimes the wine would be in a big chalice, and he would wipe it, and you would sip. You're not even allowed to hold it. You're not holy enough. Uh, so who's allowed to distribute the, 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 the elements of the Lord's Supper? Well, Wayne Gruden in his book Systematic Theology says, the fact is the scriptures make no explicit teaching at all on this question. And it's simply left to the church to decide. Well, in the, you know, it was Southern Baptist for many, many, many years. Um, in this Baptist tradition, deacons do that. Where do they get that? I have no idea. <laughs> you know, they're, okay, there may be a little hint in Acts chapter 6 where there's some Hebrew women who are poor getting favored, favored treatment over the Greek Hellenistic women who were very poor and some Jewish servants were favoring the Jewish women over the Gentile women and that's when they pick you know, deacons who would be fair-minded. But is that really about the Eucharist? No, that's about feeding the poor. Okay. Deacons are servants, and they were overseeing the feeding of the poor. Can you make that leap into the Eucharist? Eh, I, I don't think you can. Then you've got First Timothy three about people who are, uh, you know, uh, people who are called to be pastors or called to be deacons, and the criteria: should they lead? Are they the leaders of the church? Actually, yes, they are. That that is who I am. Yes. However. Uh, there's nothing in the scripture, I mean nothing, that says you have to be ordained or licensed at all to lead the Lord's Supper. Do you know, it's even true of baptism. You know, for example, this precious couple here, you know, Ben and Kayla, if their precious little baby, uh, when she's older, becomes a Christian, if Ben says to me, hey, can I baptize my little girl? I'm like, yes, of course you can baptize Kayla. That's fine, as long as it's done. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, because she's given her heart to Jesus, being baptized for the right reason, in the right way. And you know what? The scriptures are pretty clear. Immersion is the way you're baptized. That's the dominant mode or method of baptizing. There are a few allusions to sprinkling in the scriptures. I'm not going to say they don't count. They're there. But the, like 99% of the time, it's immersion. Think of it that way, okay? So uh, there's no reason why Ben can't baptize his little girl. No reason at all. Okay. Same with the Lord's Supper. A seminary, a seminary degree and being ordained doesn't qualify you to introduce grace to the church. All right? Um, what about a sacrament? You need to know this. Have you heard of sacramentalism, what this means? I think you, you, know, you know, Michael. As a Catholic, they had several sacraments. Look at what I've written for you. A sacramental view of the Eucharist is this. The actual elements, like the bread and the wine, convey, they, they literally bring to you something supernatural. Grace and even accomplish the individual's salvation. Okay. Now, the only way the Eucharist is valid is if it is done by a, a validly ordained and consecrated priest, by the way. Okay. And that's called sacerdotalism when only a consecrated priest. A uh, Catholic scholar, uh, Ludwig Oetz's book on fundamentals of Catholic dogma, the power of consecration resides in a validly consecrated priest only. 
Does that sound scary? Yeah. Yeah. Do you know any consecrated priests? Do you, know, do, you have, do you realize how quickly that gets to a scary place? You all know what I'm talking about, don't you? Yeah. So the idea that some licensure or seminary degree in any, denom- from any denominational uh, organization or, or school does not qualify you, number one, as being holy, and it doesn't qualify you as being consecrated in some way, and it doesn't mean you have exclusive rights, monopoly, on introducing the death of Jesus Christ. That's just silly. That's just silly stuff. So I do not believe in a sacramental view of baptism or the Lord's Supper. Okay, I believe that it is an ordinance. An ordinance means it's a rule. It's an order to be observed by the church as directed by Jesus Christ. It's the act of doing an ordinance and it does not impart grace or saving power to the believer. Everett Ferguson, brilliant scholar, I've learned so much from this guy. By the way, he's actually a Church of Christ. Right. We've got several COC <laughs> folks. Who was? Lots of COC. Love them. Love them, love them. Uh, uh, listen, when you say Everett Ferguson, you are talking heavyweight Catholic, uh, uh, Church of Christ scholar. Amazing guy. He says this, and this is COC, uh, you know, Joe. The best ways to understand what happens at baptism in the Lord's Supper is a kind of prophetic symbolism or an enacted parable. I like that language. Is it a mystery? Yes. There's something mysterious and beautiful about it. But to say that there's magic in the water or to be a Catholic and say that the Jews literally transubstantiates and becomes the blood and the bread transubstantiates and becomes the flesh of Jesus is to make a leap that the scriptures themselves do not make. Okay, so let's dig in. What about us? What about me and you? What about we're right here, right now, and we're going to do church. We're going to do life. All right, number one, you ready? Please, please be filled with God's spirit and his power. Dare to believe that there's more than what you may be experiencing through the Holy Spirit. The disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Paul writes in Ephesians 1, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Discover and function out of your spiritual gifting. I sent out a link on your app. Did anybody do it? Thank you. Jan, what's your gifts? Service and... Humor and coolness. Yeah. The other two gifts that Jan has. Yep, yep, yep. So, uh, Lisa, putting you on the spot, my wife who doesn't talk. Don't use an accent, sweetheart. What, what? Don't mess with Lisa. Don't mess with Lisa. Someone else who did it. Yes, Rhonda. Uh, I did the past mercy prayer administration. Beautiful, beautiful. Somebody else, your gifts. Okay. Number one, get the app. Or the wrath of God will fall on you. No, no, I was kidding. No, no, no. But please get the app because it helps us to communicate. All right? And we need to be unified. Get the app. And, and 
do the research. Begin to look. Uh, take some of the quizzes and, and, and assessments that are available and see what your gift is. And if you're not sure, don't worry about it. Seek out the Holy Spirit and start practicing that gift, all right? Romans 12. The, we are gifted according to the grace given us. All right. Next one, number three. Be present with Christ. Be present, please. Be pre- and I'm talking about physically here. Look at what Hebrews says. Let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Does that sound like baptism? Draw near. Does it sound like coming to the table? Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Wow, that's church. 1 Corinthians 12, 14, 18. Look at this stuff about the body. For the body is not one member, but many. And the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not part of the body. Is it not for this reason, any the less a part of the body? And if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I am not part of the body. Is it not for this reason, any the less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body, if the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. What does it look like when you are not in church? What does it look like? Now, if you've got, if you've got my shoulders, you've got the weight of the world on you, okay? <laughs> and I've got so much. I, 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 I have so much internal resource, spiritual. I, I'm just, I'm not Superman, okay? And what does it look like when you're not in church? Are you ready? Here we go. This is what it looks like. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as is the habit of some. I need you. You're the body of Christ. We need two feet. We need both ears. We need a a nose that smells. We need eyes that see. Okay? This is what it looks like when you're not here. Now, by the way, I'm not, I'm not hating on vacations, okay? We all need them. We need to get away. We need to do that. That's, I get it. I get it. I'm talking about a half-hearted, lackadaisical commitment to the body of Christ. That's what I'm talking about. Or a stubborn, um, well, maybe the word stubborn is not right. Maybe it's just heartless, heartless. Just a heartless view of what it means to follow Jesus. Um, I'm assuming you all know that being Baptist, you know, Baptists don't go to heaven. 
You know that, don't you? They don't. Catholics don't go to heaven. The Presbyterians aren't going to go. The Methodists aren't going to go to heaven. None of those folk go to heaven. Only Christians. Those who've been born again, made new through the Lord Jesus Christ. They're the only ones. When you have this heartless, careless, on again, off again, on again, off again kind of thing. Man, you know, you're, you're missing the whole point okay, of what it means to be the body of Christ. Uh, let me make my appeal this way. I need you. I need you. I need you to help me. We're all priests. I need you. What else? What else do we do as a church? Well, be encouraging. Be encouraging. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through the Lord Jesus, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, that means alive or dead, we will live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you are doing. Man, those people at Thessalonica, they're doing it. They're building each other up. Be peacemakers. Wow. There are people who create problems in churches. There are people who solve problems in churches. Be a peacemaker. Paul writes, pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Be unified. I, the prisoner of the Lord, Paul, I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. You know what's fascinating? When you look at Paul, it's like Paul could take a beating with rods. You know what rods are? A rod, this is actually a illustration. A rod is about that long, about that big around. Uh, the Latin term is, is facies, and uh, it, it's just a soft dowel, okay? If you've seen the Passion of the Christ, right right at the beating scene, this centurion comes out and he's got this flexible dowel. Do you remember that? That is exactly what it is. And Brian, the cops of their day had, had a bundle of them, and they would have a sash, a colored sash around them, and they would just carry them. That's like their Glock 40 cal, Model 22 duty weapon. That's their version of that. And you know those guys walking around with a bundle of rods. You know those were the cops. Okay? And by the way, Greco-Roman fashion, beating first, and then you ask questions. I'm serious. They flip it. You're guilty until proven innocent. Torture brings out truth. That's Rome. Torture brings out truth. Beat first, get the truth, and ask the questions. We flip it as Americans. You're innocent until proven guilty. Okay? We do the opposite. Paul could take a beating with rods. Paul could be flogged, the unthinkable, stoned. He could put up with so much. But you know when, you know there are two things that really upset the Apostle Paul. Do you know what they are? This really kind of kind of fried him. What do you think they were? Two things. Anybody that caused division in church. Troublemakers in church would light Paul up. He could put up with a lot. He could put up with the stoning and a bee, but he wouldn't put up with that one. And he wouldn't put up with anybody getting the gospel wrong. He wouldn't put up with it. He'd take a beating, but he couldn't sit and listen to somebody engage in false teaching. We've got to fight for unity. Look at this. Live out the faith, hope, and love. I hope you appreciate this. Love is patient. Love is kind. 
It is not jealous, love does not brag, and is not arrogant. You know this text. We think it's a part, it's a wedding text. It's not. It's not about marriage. It's about a church that is so dysfunctional, it doesn't know how to get along. In other words, you as church members, love is patient. Be patient to your church family. Love is kind. Be kind to your church family. Stop being jealous of your church family. Stop bragging in front of your church family. Don't be arrogant in front of your church uh, family. Don't act rudely in church. Don't seek your own in church. Don't provoke. Don't be hot-headed. Don't take into account a wrong suffered. There are people, you know what? It's an odd thing that somebody hurts somebody's feelings in church and then the bride of Christ has to suffer for it. Or God's blamed for this stuff. Live out faith, hope, and love. Be holy. We are called to be holy. We request of you, brothers, that you appreciate those who labor among you. And look, that we urge you, brothers, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted. Rejoice always, skipping ahead. Pray without ceasing. And everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterance. I want to say something about prophetic utterance. Um, uh, someone who's a dear part of this church told me, they said, Chris, uh, I was at work and I just saw someone and my heart told me that they were going to be in a car accident. This just happened, by the way, two days ago. It's going to be in a car wreck. And I didn't say anything to them. I never said anything. Two hours later, they finally get the call. The guy was in the car wreck. Now, he survived, but he was in the car wreck. Okay. And now that person is, is saying, you know, I, I, I'm feeling the sting that the Holy Spirit gave me a prophetic word, and I didn't speak. I withheld it. We cannot despise or hate or be afraid of prophetic utterance, but we should examine everything carefully and hold fast to that which is good, Abstain from every form of evil. All right. You are the gifted body of Christ. You're the church. If you've walked with Jesus, if you've walked in the spirit, not in the flesh, if you've been obedient, if you're broken and humble, you are the body of Christ. We've walked through some of the doctrines of the church and what we believe in the church. Counsel yourselves. How do we do this thing? How do we live it out? What are some daily things we can do, some practices we can do to build each other up, to encourage one another, to be accountable to each other, to love, to be holy together? By the way, you know it says in 1 Corinthians 10, uh, all temptation you're facing is common to man. God always gives a way of escape so that you can get away. God wants you to be tempted above what you're able, those kinds of things. Are those pronouns singular or plural? They're plural. Together we find the way of escape. Together, not as an individual. Does this make sense? Okay. You're the body of Christ. You've heard the teaching of his word. I've honored God's word. How do we live it out? What difference does this make in our lives? What would you say? Being the church.
doctors can't find out what's wrong, you know, like, yeah. if, if we don't um, share that, if we don't talk, yeah, talk, yep. we don't share that with each other. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, that's so good. Thank you, um, Deanna. You're you're hitting a big nerve. A lot of a lot of people, and a lot of times, uh, people come to church maybe for the first time, or they're kind of getting involved in the church, and everybody looks so good. Um, suits and ties and dresses and jewelry and makeup. And everybody looks so good, um, and certainly those are part of the traditions that I came from and all the mega churches that I served in. And you know what? Some regular person would come in the building and and feel like I'm with a bunch of perfect people and my life is totally jacked up. I don't fit here. I don't belong here. Uh, and everybody looks, they, they got it together. You're right, Deanna. If we're not honest and transparent with what we deal with, how in the world are we going to share that with somebody else? Exactly. Mason? Building on that, I had lunch with, uh, with an old buddy yesterday and uh, he just got back from a of sorts called Burning Man. Um, some of you know what it is. Uh, for those of you who don't, it's 80,000 people come together. They build a city for one week. And there's pretty much anything and everything and nothing's illegal. So you can do whatever you want, do whatever you feel like. Um, and he told me that he feels more comfortable in that situation than he was going back to his home church. Um, and a lot of that has to do with being authentic. That was his staple point. Was You may have somebody who openly does all these drugs or goes to the, the sex tent or does all these different things. But yet they tell you to your face, and they say, hey, by the way, like, I'm super high. I mean, and I'm quoting him. He says, by the way, I'm super high, so if I bump into you, I'm really sorry. And he took that as, like, a, as a great thing because they would be open with and share what they like to do, and then you can choose to engage in that or not. Um, if we, the church, were able to be open and honest not just with our successes, but also in ways that we're weak. Then we can love on one another, and we know how to love one another and encourage one another. Mm -hmm. um, because we don't relate when I say, or when someone says, oh yeah, I just got a promotion two weeks into my job, I'm making double what I was making. Uh, my boss asked me to actually run the company next, next year. No one can relate. God is good. God is good all the time. As opposed to the person that says, I just started and I'm weak in and I think I'm going to get fired. Yeah. yeah. And so yeah. if we're able to share these insecurities, fears, um, and, uh, and be known, then we're able to love and be loved. Uh, and that's, that's, yeah. that's what the church is for. Yeah, that's good. Keep going. What does it mean to be the church? Jen? I'm going to embarrass myself because that's what I do. Um, everyone knows that I've, I've gone through some issues the last couple of years, cancer, stuff like that. And I found myself 
to get an authenticity, found myself sinking deeper into a depression for whatever reason, and uh, it had no rhyme or reason, really. I don't have any reason to be depressed, but I was. So instead of, I got to a place where I got upset with the church, this church. Nobody reached out. You know, I got a couple of texts, no calls. So I just said, I'm just going to withdraw into myself, and that's what I've done. Y'all know I haven't been here much. Um, and so then God finally started speaking to me. I've been seeing Chris. I saw Chris for a little bit to try to work some of this out. And I realized that I was expecting you guys to reach out when I was willing to tell you I was hurting. And so it was my fault too, you know. And I can't put that off on you guys when I wasn't willing to say, you know, Lisa, I'm hurting today. I just, I can't get out of bed. I don't want to go to work. And so through talking with Chris and stuff, I realized that I have to be vulnerable. I have to be real um, in order for you guys to even be able to, I mean, you may not understand what I'm going through, but you can walk through walk through it with me and just hold my hand. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's what I urge this church to do because I'm, I feel so much better. I'm reaching out a little bit now and, and trying to get back to where I was with God. And mm-hmm. It's hard. It's hard. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Do you realize what just happened? Do you? Do you guys get it? Church has got real people. This is it. This is the body of God. Jen, thank Let's you. Let's be honest, because what happens when we have somebody that just leaves and we hurt, mm-hmm. it really does hurt. Rejection can go both ways. Yes. It can go, it can go, it can go. <clears throat> it can. By the way, do you know what the average pastor does? And can I just admit something? I'm the average pastor. <laughs> When someone stops coming, do you know what? What's, what do you think? If you know me, what's the first thing rejection. I do? Rejection. Oh, oh, first class rejection. What did I do wrong? Is you know, if I were, if I could tell jokes better, you know, just kind of make it more fun. If you could make church more fun, uh, or I was a more inspirational speaker, you know, and I could really bring it home. You know that that chin quivering punchline at the end and get them all crying. If I were a better pastor, boy, that's what it is. So immediately, self condemnation. I failed. I failed. Can't keep my sheep in the flock, you know. And, and, and the big church offering the candy, just can't compete with them. Just can't compete. First thing. I'm not saying it's true. I'm just saying it's real. <laughs> okay, it's just real. We, it's, uh, Joe, you were going to say something? Um, you know, the, the biggest thing I've always thought with regards to how we interact with people coming in and looking around and not relating is that they see fake people on the outside of the church. They walk through the church door and cross in the front door and they see more fake people. Yeah. We are, if we're God about the Spirit, we are instructed, among many other things, that we don't live in fear. And one of those fears is the fear of being weak. We're all afraid to be perceived as weak. Amen. But the problem there is, is that people who aren't weak don't allow God's power to shine through. I have to be weak. That way I can't take credit when the power comes through and God's spirit works. Yeah. It's, yeah. That's the way it works. And look at Paul. He said that a thousand times, right? I could have come to you with strong words and big, powerful, whatever, and big, right fist. But I didn't because that would have squelched the power yeah. of the spirit. He would praise me. And God's, God's strength is revealed in our weaknesses. Absolutely. Let me share this because it's, it's getting really late. This is the answer, Jan, to what you mentioned, Deanna. This is from Philippians chapter 2. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, 
but also for the interests of others. All right? If that was fleshed out in our lives in, in the day-to-day, week-to-week way, that means when you walk in here, you're more important than me, I'm going to serve you. You think I'm more important than you are, so you're going to serve me. And when you have that kind of mutual serving and committing to each other, then there's no neglect in the body of Christ. Some of you are feet. You're strong. You, you can support a lot of weight. It's amazing what you do. If you're not here, Christ Church limps. Some of you are noses. You smell things. You can sense something's wrong. You can sense when something's right. You get it. You, you're discerning. If you're not here to discern, neglect is going to happen. Some of your eyes, you see, you know this is the way that you walk, walk in this way. You see things others cannot see, blind spots. You get the idea. Some of your hands, you've got to physically be here and you've got to be transparent that we desperately need each other. We need to obediently together pursue the Lord Jesus Christ. So time's getting away. Um, I, I want to I do this. I, we, we, can't, we can't miss this. I want you to hear the gospel. The gospel is serious. It's not complicated. It is serious. You've got to understand that God's love is revealed to us. How, you, you can't miss John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his only, his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Some of you have battled with the love of God most of your life. You still battle with it. God loves you. And yet, we humans somehow have a way of screwing things up. We know how to mess it up. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It's the stinger. Sin separates. Isaiah 59. Your sins have made a separation between you and your God. There's something blocking the relationship. We're not born again. Sin has a penalty. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So what is the answer to the problem? The answer is Jesus. Did you hear what I just said? The answer is Jesus. God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Salvation is a free gift, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. I love Acts 2, 37, 38. Now when they had heard this, they were pierced to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I love that. What would a prayer look like? This is something that it looks like. It gets at the repentant heart, the heart of faith. It's, dear Lord, I know that I am a sinner and that I need your forgiveness. I repent of my sins. I turn to you. I believe that Jesus Christ died in my place to pay the penalty for my sin 
and that he rose from the dead, I now invite Jesus to come into my life as my Savior. Thank you for making me your child. I want us to close our eyes, and we're just going to tune out, tune out in anything that may distract you. I want you to tune it out. Are you a Christian? Have you experienced the new birth? Have you been born again? If you have not, find these words in your heart, please, and give yourself to Jesus. Just take time to look deep and listen to what God's Spirit is saying to you, please. Father, you know every heart in this room. You know who's playing church and you know who's been born again and they're just faithful. Abba Father, you know the one who's the doubter. But I pray for the one that at this very second may be turning to you by faith and I ask you to draw them in. And they experience the new birth, being born again. Calling on you as Lord and Savior, please. Repenting from their ways, turning from the old ways and turning to you. Thank you so much. Who you are and what you've done for us, please. I'm asking in the name of Jesus, amen. Look up, if you, if you gave your heart to Christ, I'm going to be back there by Stephen or by the, the sound guys. Uh, I want you to come talk to me. I want, to tell, I want you to tell me what happened, okay? I'm, I'm so excited. We're going to worship the living God. We're going to worship Jesus, our Savior. And we're going to get, we're going to, get to tell him how much we love him in song. Uh, thank you so much. I love you guys. Stephen, you guys ready? Here we go.